You might have seen those videos, the He Gets Us movement videos. They actually bought a couple spots and showed them during the Super Bowl, that little football game a few weeks ago. And uh, it's an interesting video. They're basically just saying this one message, Jesus really gets us. He really understands. He really knows what we're going through, which is a great message to get out there. And a lot of people, when you put something out there with that mass wide of audience, right, like there's so much tendency to tear down and criticize, and you can poke holes in all the videos, and nobody's, nobody's actually suggesting we add the videos to the Bible or anything like that. I, they're not perfect. But they're great conversation starters, right? Like they get you in this conversation with somebody who saw that video during the Super Bowl, saw that commercial spot, saw that spot, and they're like, what was that all about? And you're like, yeah, he does get us. And then you can take it from there. It's, it's such a good uh, message to remind people of, especially in our culture today. And that's where we are in the book of Hebrews with this idea that, that he gets us. Um, the first part of Hebrews, and really all the way throughout, is this one message over and over again. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Don't pursue anything else. Jesus is always better. And he continues that message, but in the second segment, he starts to kind of really hone in on this one idea that Jesus is the better high priest. And so he's comparing the, Jesus to the high priest that they had in the Old Testament days, Jewish high priest who would uh, make atoning sacrifices for the people on behalf of the people. In fact, there was one day, the Day of Atonement, every year he'd go into the Holy of Holies. Uh, that only time he's, the high priest would go in there, he's the only one allowed in there and make an atoning sacrifice for all the people, people on this one day. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you know how the high priest kind of taught you that you needed a mediator between you and God? You needed someone to go before God? You can't stand in front of God alone? Well, Jesus is the better high priest. Jesus has fulfilled all the things the high priests uh, were called to do. And this, this idea he's going to keep developing it. Next week we'll talk about uh, the comparisons between the, the high priests that they knew and Jesus as the better high priest. But as he starts this discussion, the thing he wants to focus on is this idea that we have a high priest who really does get us, who really understands us. And it's such a great thing. It's such a great reminder. I'm so glad that you guys showed up on spring break week to hear this because it's such an important message and a reminder and encouragement for every single one of us that Jesus really does get us. In fact, the, the thing that he unpacks for us here, it, it's just, man, we need this encouragement all the time. And the first thing that we see in this passage is really the, this truth. We have a great high priest who truly gets us. And you got to stop and think about this. When we celebrate at Christmas the incarnation, we celebrate with Advent sermons and, and all the different things. We're celebrating this idea that God took on flesh, that God became one of us. And he did that because there was no other hope for us. We couldn't get back to God. We had no chance of being a part of his family. We were cut off from him. So he took on flesh in order to rescue us, to take our place, to show us the way, all the things. But when he took on flesh, he took on the human experience. He felt the things that we feel. He experienced the struggle that we experience. He really does get us. We have a, a great high priest but he really does get us. And, and man, this idea is what, I mean, it's one of the, there's so many things that set Christianity apart from all the other religions. But this is one of those ideas where God decided to rescue us by becoming one of us, by taking on flesh. And because of that, he experienced everything. And so as the writer of Hebrews in verse 15 is trying to unpack this, verse 15 is kind of the central truth where the other things are supporting it. Verse 15, he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
He's saying, hey, we have a great high priest who truly gets us, and he gives us two different aspects of that. And the first one is he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He really understands and gets our weaknesses. He knows that life is hard. He, he, he Just think about the things that Jesus experienced and how much that lends to this truth that he really gets us, that he relates to us. Relational difficulties? You ever have difficulties in your relationships? I mean, Jesus had these followers, these 12 followers. He called them. He, he said, they're going to follow me. I'm going to teach you all these different things. And you see them. They're getting it sometimes, and they're not getting it sometimes. And they're arguing with each other about position in his kingdom. They're, 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 they're doubting. They're, there's just all these different kinds of things where they're having conflict, and Jesus is trying to lead them, and they understand him, and then they don't understand him, and they forget, and they fall back. Like, all these different things. Jesus has relational conflict around him all the time. So if you have relational conflict in your life and you like you would not have that if you don't have relationships that would be you're out on this one but if you have relationships and you have some conflict in your life and you here's what Jesus gets that he understands that his followers not only that but they let him down they're you know he's praying the night before they're going to betray him and arrest him, all that stuff, that, that night that that's going to happen before he's going to be crucified. He's praying. He's, he's in anguish. He's sweating like drops of blood is what it says. And he's, he's asked his disciples to pray with him on that. You know, and what are the, he keeps going back to check on them. And what are they doing? Every time they're sleeping, they just fall asleep. They, he can't count on them. Just so you know, every now and then I see you sleeping while I'm up here. Like I see you. Not like in your house watching you sleeping. I see you sleeping. Some of you fall asleep during this. I see you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Jesus gets me. He gets me. I mean, I'm mostly kidding about that. I see you sleeping. I just don't care. But it's okay. So he gets us. His disciples, the people that he trusted the most, betrayed him, let him down, deserted him, denied they even knew him. Have you ever had somebody that you really trusted betray you? Anybody? Okay, I saw two hands. That's great. The rest of you, it's coming, okay? <laughs> There's the good news for today. Ryan said this would be encouraging. Like, if you, like, people will let you down. People that you thought would never let you down will let you down. It's happened to me. It's happened to all of us. Like, we know Jesus had these people that he trusted. They betrayed him. They, man, they let him down completely. He knows how that feels. You ever had somebody um, criticize you unfairly, say something about you that was a criticism that wasn't true? Um, you ever had somebody wrongly accuse you of something that you didn't do? You ever had somebody just judge you completely without any fairness at all, just cast a judgment on you? Yeah, we've, we've experienced those kinds of pains and suffering, and Jesus gets that because he experienced it too. They criticized him wrongly. They were always trying to trick him, always trying to trap him. Basically, they're trying to cancel him. The original cancel, cancel culture is right there. Jesus, we're going to get rid of this guy and put him on a cross to cancel him. We walk around with all this fear of all these things that are going on in our world. If I say the wrong thing or whatever, Jesus gets it. He really understands. He was one of us, and he, he sympathizes with us. He knows this life is hard. He knows relationships are hard. He knows all these things are difficult. And he was wrongly accused and unfairly judged, criticized by everybody. He gets us. Um, I don't know if you... Uh, 
you remember Rich Mullins. He was a, a Christian artist back in the day. He wrote a bunch of songs. I really was a big fan of Rich Mullins in my younger years. And he, he died and uh, it's not, not writing songs anymore, but I still go back and listen to his songs every now and then. And this, as I was reading this, studying this week, I thought about his song that was called A Boy Like Me, A Man Like You. Because in that song, he's basically going, okay, Jesus, I know you're different than me, but how much, how much are you alike me? And he starts off and he's saying, you know, I, I, I was born in a hospital and you were born in a stable and laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling cloths and I was wrapped in baby blue. And, and then he says, you know, I was 12 years old. I was in the church and I was just trying to figure out what they were saying. It was hard. It was difficult. And then you were 12 years old and you were teaching the religious leaders. Like you knew a lot of stuff that they didn't even think you were supposed to know. And he's like, there's so many differences here. And then he starts asking different questions to remind himself that Jesus was like us, and he gets us. He says, hey, did you grow up hungry? Did you grow up fast? Did the little girls giggle when you walked past? Did you wonder what it was that made them laugh? And Jesus probably figured it out, but none of us ever will. Like, what makes those little girls laugh like that? Did you wrestle with a dog? Did you lick his nose? Did you play beneath the spray of a water hose? Did you ever make angels in the winter snow? Did you ever get scared playing hide-and-seek? Did you try not to cry when you scraped your knee? Did you ever skip a rock across, across a quiet creek? Just, a, just some lyrics to remind you that he really lived among us and walked among us and experienced what we experience. He gets us. He knows what life is like because he took on flesh and became one of us. But here's what this says. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. That's a whole different level here. Because he doesn't just understand and experience it, but he sympathizes with us. So when we're struggling and when it's hard, he's not folding his arms, looking down on us. I can't believe you are struggling like that. He's not condescending towards us in our struggles. He sympathizes with us. He's, he's moving towards us with compassion. He understands our struggles and he has sympathy for us. The word sympathy means co-suffering. He suffered with us. He understands the struggles, the turmoils, the relationships, all this. He understands all of it and he sees us with sympathy as a result of that. Uh, some of you are familiar with that book, Gentle and Lowly. And uh, it came out a few years ago and it's been pretty popular since it because it mainly because it shows us and really highlights how Jesus approaches sinners like you and me. And that's one of the reasons I love the book. And a lot of our community groups have done that book together. My community groups are actually just going through that book right now. Here's one of the quotes from that book to highlight Jesus' approach to us when he sympathizes with us. Gentle and lowly. This, according to his own testimony, is Christ's very heart. This is who he is. Tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. If we're asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring his own teaching if our answer is gentle and lowly. Not high and mighty, arms folded, condescending, gentle and lowly. He sees our struggle and he has sympathy because he experienced himself. He knows how hard it is and his, he moves us towards us with sympathy. It's, it's absolutely amazing. But Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. It's not just that he sympathizes with our weaknesses, but he also says he understands our temptations. Who in every respect, verse 15, but one, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every respect. 
He understands our temptations. So you know that there's the story when Jesus started his ministry, he was led out into the wilderness, and, the, and Satan met him there and tempted him with these huge temptations. And Jesus resisted his temptation with the word of God. He resisted the temptation. We know that there he was praying on that night in the garden when his disciples were sleeping, and he's praying, God, take this, take this cup away from me. I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want to go to the cross. But not my will, but your will be done. So he's resisting that temptation. He's, he's rejecting that temptation, he's, but he's experiencing that. And so what he says here is that in every respect, he's been tempted as we are. He knows and understands the power of temptation. It's not saying that every single temptation that you and I face, he faced, because he didn't have the exact same situation. But what it's saying is that he understands the lure of temptation, the power of temptation, the lies of temptation, the deception of temptation, the sin's trying to trick us and trap us. He understands that. He experienced that. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And some of you think, you hear that and you go, yeah, but he never gave in, so does, there, does he really know? Like if he, never, if he never gave in like you and I do, does he really know the power of temptation because it never quite got him? And C.S. Lewis has a, a, a really good illustration about this where he talks about two men who were battling a super, super strong wind. And uh, I thought it was pretty good, but this week that really super strong wind came in and knocked a whole tree down onto my fence at my house, so it just felt too soon to use C.S. Lewis's illustration for me. Pain's too deep. So I was like, I know, I'll just take his illustration with apologies to C.S. Lewis, and I'll, I'll like make it a little bit more relevant for us. And so I brought um, something to help C.S. Lewis. <laughs> this is sliced hot jalapeno peppers. And... Uh, here in, in Texas, we will have jalapeno eating contests just for fun. That's just, that's just what we do here. I know some of you aren't from Texas. We'll get together and we'll just like watch people eat this. Those one, the ones having the fun are the ones watching the contest, just so you know. But we'll have this. And so let's just say that uh, we wanted to have a jalapeno eating contest today. Um, y'all don't look like y'all do, but let's just say that I do. And uh, so I would like invite Steve Hay uh, one of our deacons, I mean, Steve, Steve's a great guy, serves in a lot of different ways. I'd, I'd say, Steve, you're going to be in the jalapeno contest, and we'll put you on this side. And I don't see Miller Page in here. I think he was in one of the early, earlier services. But if you see Miller Page, we'll put him in this contest. So Miller Page will be on the other side. And, um, and then we, let, let's say we took these jalapenos, we opened it up, put 100 jalapenos on Steve's side and 100 jalapenos on Miller Page's side. And we said, first one to finish all 100 jalapenos wins the contest. And I said, go. And so they start eating the jalapenos. Now, Steve, he's getting into the jalapenos, and he realizes about halfway into this thing, he's not from Texas. He's from California, and he should have never signed up for this in the first place. And so about 50 jalapenos in, which is pretty good, Steve. I'm pretty proud of you. He's like, nope, I'm done. Where's the milk? Which is how we say this in Texas. We add syllables where there are no syllables. Milk. That's, that's, he's wanting the milk to get. He's done. But Miller Page, I don't know if you guys know Miller Page, but he's a, he's a, He's an Aggie. Okay, so there are some. I knew there would be. He's a, he's a fighting Texas Aggie, so he doesn't quit. He doesn't stop. He goes and eats all 100 jalapenos, and he wins the contest. You know why? Because this wasn't football. Um, I even got the horses laugh. That was great. So um, I'm in trouble now. So here's the deal. Steve and Miller, man, they both... 
have experienced the power of the jalapeno. Uh, you, can bet, you can rest assured they will, they will be experiencing the power of the jalapeno for a while. <laughs> Steve had 50 of them, and he, he knows that the jalapeno is hot. It's powerful. It does some damage, right? But you know what you could say is that Miller, because he ate more jalapenos, he ate all of them, he experienced the power of the jalapeno more than Steve did because he went all the way with it, right? And so just think about this with Jesus. You say, okay, well, he never gave in the temptation. So that means that he experienced the full power of the temptation all the way through. Me, you, like temptation comes and, we, man, we, we give in too quickly, don't we? We give up too easily. We fall too, too often. But Jesus never fell once. He never gave up. He, he kept going. He persevered all the way through to the end. And so he experienced the full brunt, the power of temptation, and he overcame it. And you think, well, man, did he really experience it? I think that you can say, yeah, he, he experienced it even more than we do. He understands our temptation. He gets us. But here's where we need to keep going beyond where the videos, these commercials are. The commercials are great. I'm not saying this is criticism, but where we need to pick up the conversation is they're highlighting the humanity of Jesus, but the text also highlights the divinity of Jesus, that he is, he gets us, but he can also, because he's God, he conquered it and he can help us. So the next thing, the next truth in this text is that we have a great high priest who can really help us. He really can't help us. He's the only one that can. And the reason is because he never once gave in. He, he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. So every time he was faced with temptation, he did not give in. And so he, as God, can help us with our temptation. He can help us overcome our sin. He can help us find victory of it when we look to him. He was buried in a, in a grave. He died on a cross, was buried in a grave. He was dead, and he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He can help us. He's God in the flesh. He's fully man, but he's fully God. And so it's not just that he gets us. That's great. That's awesome. That's encouraging. But what really encourages us is the fact that because he gets us and he's God, he can help us. And this passage says this, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That he can help us with whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're dealing with, he can always help us because he conquered everything. And the, what it says here is that he gives us mercy and grace. That the main ways that he helps us is by overloading us with mercy and grace. Mercy is you and me not getting the punishment that we deserve. And not suffering the consequences for our sin and rebellion that we should have to suffer. God gives us mercy. How does he do that? Well, he punished Jesus instead of us. Jesus took our punishment, the punishment that we should have had to take on the cross. He took that in our place. He was our substitute. And he died paying the penalty for sin that you and I should have had to pay, but we couldn't pay. We couldn't do that. He paid it for us. He took our place. He took the punishment that we should have taken. And so now, because of what Jesus has done, God can... Give us mercy. He can spare us that punishment. He can bring us back in the family. He, he gives us mercy that we don't deserve. We deserve punishment. God poured his wrath out on his son instead of us. He gives us mercy and he gives us grace. 
He gives us things that we couldn't earn. He gives us things that we could never deserve. A right standing with him. We were cut off. We were separated. And he brings us back into a right relationship with God. He, he, he gives us all the blessings that come with that. He gives us the eternal security that comes with that. Grace is when you get things that you didn't deserve and you couldn't earn. And he gives us mercy, takes the punishment that we do deserve, and gives us something that we don't. Grace. So his mercy and his grace is there for our salvation, but his mercy and his grace is there for us every single day. I need mercy and I need grace every day. And the Bible says that his mercy is new every morning. And it's always new. It's always replenished. There's an unending supply of mercy that he has towards me. I, I need grace. When you're going through a difficult time, here's what the Bible says, that his grace is more than sufficient for our needs, that no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what struggle, no matter what is melting down around us, his grace will always get us through it. It doesn't take it away. It doesn't remove all the problems. His grace is sufficient to guide us through it, to make us better in the middle of it. He gives us mercy and grace in an unending supply because that's what we really need. And it's a, it's a mercy and grace because he gets us. It's a mercy and grace because he understands, he sympathizes, that makes this just kind of mind-blowing aspect of the gospel come to life. Because it's deeper than just saying mercy, grace, love. Like it's deeper than that. It's, it's played out in God taking on flesh and understanding us. Here's another quote from Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland that I, it just makes this make sense to me. He goes, this is deeper than saying Jesus is loving or merciful or gracious. The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, look at this, is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. Mercy and grace displayed, personified in a God who sees our struggle, understands our struggle, sees our sin and our failure over and over and over and over and over again and continually moves towards us in our sin, continually moves towards us in our suffering. So when we're going through a difficult time, we look to him and we find grace sufficient for everything. When we sin and we fall and we walk away and we do that tomorrow, we do that this afternoon, we do that right while we're sitting in here, like we do it all the time and we turn away from our sin and turn back to him, guess what? We see that he's already on his way to get us. He's moving towards us, sympathy and understanding because he's giving us mercy and grace. And that's exactly what we need. And here's the writer of Hebrews says, not only that, but he also gives us access to God. He's opened the door where the door was not open. No one could open the door. This high priest that was kind of designed to teach them they needed someone to stand before God. One day a year, the day of atonement, the high priest would confess his sins and atone for his own sins and then he would go into the holiest place, the holy of holies, this part of the temple where only he could go and only this one time and he would make an atoning sacrifice for all the people of God on that day. And God had this temple and they could go meet with God at the temple and it represented God's presence with his people but at the same time it also represented this holiness of you stay away you don't get too close in fact if you weren't the high priest you could only get so close to the holy of holies there was an area for Gentiles together but it was out in the outer courts and then there was an area for Jewish women and then beyond that Jewish men who weren't a part of the priest family the tribe of Levi and then the priest could go a little bit further but only the high priest could go in there and it's about a 90 to 100 feet between the Holy of Holies and where a normal Jewish man could be as close as they could be 
And they would wait and watch, and he would come out after making the atoning sacrifice and signal it was done, and they would all rejoice because their sins had been atoned for. Here's what Jesus does. He is the greater, better high priest, and he skips past he skips past the Holy of Holies on earth, the temple made by man. It says in verse 14, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. And so he doesn't go to that Holy of Holies, that man-made temple. He goes through the heavens right into the actual heavenly temple of God, into the throne of God. And that's where he granted us access. And he doesn't stay in there and come back out and say, y'all, keep your distance. Here's what he does. It's crazy. He says, hey, come on. Come on. I've, I've, I've made a way where there was no way. You have access to God. You can go to the throne of God. You can meet with God. I've given you access. I've torn the veil apart. Come on with me. Come on. Enjoy the presence of God. He's granted us access where we had no access. We were cut off in our sin. We were alienated. We were removed from him. We had no family to belong to. We were not a people. And he's brought us into the family of God. So what do we sing today? We stand forgiven. We stand forgiven. We stand forgiven. We stand forgiven. Not because we did it, because he did it for us. He made the way where there was one. He gave us access to God, and his mercy is enough. His mercy is more than enough. He's given us that kind of access to God's throne, the king of the universe. That's where we get ushered in because of Jesus. Richard Phillips in his commentary in Hebrews said it this way, yes, it's a throne to which you and I come. But that throne is a throne of grace. This means that when you come, your sins are covered by the blood of Christ. Your faults are looked upon with compassion. We stand forgiven. It's covered. Our faults are looked upon with compassion and sympathy. Your stumbling prayers, look at this, don't, don't miss this. Your stumbling prayers are not criticized, but are received with kindness. I know so many people are so scared to pray in public, to pray out loud. And they, they even struggle with praying on their own. What do I say? How do I say it? I don't know the right words. You know, our stumbling prayers aren't received with criticism. They're received with kindness. Because Jesus has given us access. We can bring to him our needs. We can pour out our hearts to him. We can present our requests to him. And he loves to listen to our requests and answer our prayers. He loves that. He delights in that. Why? Because Jesus has given us access. We stand forgiven because Jesus paid it all for us. He gives us everything we need, mercy and grace and access to God. So, man, I, I hope this is encouraging. I hope it kind of changes everything in some ways for you. Like, this is... This is the God who gets us, and this is the God who can help us, no matter what we're dealing with. And so the question is, what do we do with this? And I think there's really two application points I want to point out here. One is written into the text, makes it a little easier for me. Verse 16, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. So here's, here's your first thing to do with this truth. Let's go to him with confidence. Jesus has given you access. You didn't earn it. Our confidence is not because of how good I've been or how hard I've worked. It's because I couldn't do it and Jesus made a way. And so we get to go in with confidence and what Jesus did was enough to grant us access to God. So let's go to him with confidence. That means go to him with your needs. Present your requests to him. Present your petitions. Go to him in prayer. Be devoted to prayer. I love this about Hebrews because what he's saying in this section is, hey, don't fall away. 
Don't wander away from this. It's, it's a dangerous thing to have known this and then walk away from it. So keep believing, keep trusting in God. And then he says, here's the answer to that. Here's how you do that. Be devoted to his word and be devoted to prayer. There's nothing new. The same stuff, like the whole Bible tells us. Here's how you find that you will keep believing and keep trusting God when you're devoted to his word and you're devoted to prayer. So go to him with confidence because Jesus has given us that access. We can present our needs to him and we find mercy, we find grace, we find sympathy, we find compassion, we find all the help we need when we go to him. So let's go to him with confidence. And this other application point that's really not in the text, it just kind of flows from it in my mind, and that is that let's go to others with compassion. I mean, here's what happens. If you get this, that in your sin and my sin and our failures and our weaknesses and our struggles and our shortcomings, Jesus doesn't fold his arms and look down on us. He moves towards us with sympathy and compassion. He understands when that thought kind of just takes root into our hearts and our minds, what it'll do is it'll finally just spill out and spill over into others. Let's go to others with compassion because of what Jesus has done for us. (laughs) Our world needs some compassion. Our world needs some sympathy. We need to see past the exterior of all the whatever And know that there's deep-rooted problems and people are looking for hope and they're looking for answers. And we, we have the answer. We have the only answer that will ever make sense. And so let's move towards them with compassion, with sympathy, with understanding. Why? Because we were there. And when we were running and far off and rebelling and falling away, Jesus pursued us. He tracked us down. He called us and he restored us. And he did that with sympathy with love, with mercy, with grace, and with compassion. (laughs) Let's be a people known to be a people that move towards the world with compassion because Jesus moved towards us with that compassion because he loved us enough to rescue us from our sin. Let's be that people together. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth in your word. Thank you for this... Man, this reminder that I needed. Jesus, thank you that you really do get us. You really do understand. And you see our struggle and you move towards us in it. With sympathy, with compassion, with love. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Help us to embrace that. Some of us just needed to hear that this morning, that you've forgiven us for all the mistakes. And then... God, would you let that just kind of rise up in us and overflow so that we become people that have compassion for those around us because of who you are and what you've done. Would you do that for your glory through us and in us? In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.